Hello, my name is Fionn School and welcome to my podcast Straight Shot. Uh, the reason why it's going to be called Straight Shot is I'm hopefully going to do this in one fell swoop. No editing, no carry on. What I might do afterwards, just explain some points a little bit more. Uh, I might put like uh, an amendment podcast after each one just to maybe cover a couple of points I didn't cover to my liking and maybe just to reiterate on some points I might make. The point of this podcast, I suppose, is to, I suppose, put pen to paper, so to speak, on a few ideas, a few notions, a few opinions I've come to over the years. And why I might want to do that, uh, you, well, I suppose I've had a life a little bit different to others in some regards. I'm a well-traveled person. I've been to 50 plus different countries, 110, 120 different ports, towns, cities, rivers, that type of carry on. So you never know, I might have a couple of opinions that might be a little bit different. I know today is the age of the opinion, the age of the information is kind of, we saw it for a little while and now we're kind of waving goodbye to it in our rearview mirror, but hopefully, you know. Oh, it's not lost, that's for sure, that's for sure. The age of the opinion. Opinions are good as long as we can get them objective and we can critique our information as best as we possibly can, not stand over our opinions like they are our armour, our social armour. Um, and, yeah, I suppose for my own self, if I'm talking to someone and I disagree with them, I personally find that if I can change someone else's opinion, that's a good feeling. It's supposed to be a good feeling. But if someone can change your opinion, well, that's also fucking brilliant. You know? I get the same buzz out of someone changing my opinion as I do changing someone else's. No. At the same time, you don't go flip-flopping. You don't go chasing after the next new bright thing you come across like a fucking magpie. You don't be doing that with your opinion. No magpie opinions here. But, um, yeah... The age of the opinion is, well, in my opinion, <laughs> well and truly here. So, my name isn't Fionn Maxgool. Uh, that's not a real name. Uh, in that regard, I suppose I'm taking a bit of inspiration from the rubber, rubber Bandits, in particular, Blind By. If you listen to his, bit of a, his podcast, great stuff, highly recommend it. And, uh, yeah, I don't really like the idea of, you know, being known, I'm kind of one of those fellas that kind of enjoys the fact that I can walk into a pub and only a few people know me. That's a very comfor- comforting thing for me anyway, like, you know. And you could be saying to yourself, sure, go on away to fuck you, Fionn. I mean, like, who are you to be thinking that you're going to get some sort of mad, instantaneous, you know, exposure to lots and lots of people to say that you want to be hiding your name in your face or whatever. Well, look, no, no, you never know. You never know. That's the way I see it, right? I've gone, I, I have material in my past that I posted online that went viral two times actually and I don't want to be talking about them here because I kind of want to keep a bit of segregation but uh, my own self I don't find it comfortable uh, everyone knowing my name I suppose and everyone knowing your face and I suppose like many people, I've made a lot of mistakes in the past and I like the idea of making mistakes in the future and no one knowing about it, you know, or no public sphere knowing about it. So, better safe than sorry, I suppose, is the way to put that. Uh, no background noise for this. I might actually put in some background noise for the next one. We'll see how this one sounds first. Maybe just a bit of rain. Rain lashing against the window. Bit of soothing, you know, soothing noise. I kind of like that idea, to be something a bit soothing. Uh, as your man Blind Boy would say, a nice hug of a podcast. You know, you have a podcast and it feels like you've come away having a, you know, a nice friendly hug. You know, so that's a nice thing. Um, no, I suppose where to start. Uh this podcast will be based on giving you a bit of context, a bit of backstory to the voice, I suppose. And hopefully we won't be going on too much about it. And uh, I don't know how often I'll be doing this. It could be uh, once in a while. It could be once a day. I'm a bit of a talker. I'll talk about that in a while. <laughs> and uh, yeah, sure, we'll see how it goes. Um, 
so I suppose we'll, we'll, we'll start off from the start. Uh, I consider myself a very lucky person in a way, in lots of ways, uh, particularly with my parents. Uh, two great parents never did their best. They were never roaring and shouting and beating the hell out of each other and whatever else. They were very patient, myself and my younger brother, so good start anyway. Now, hated school. Couldn't do school, which I suppose maybe ties into the Mac school thing. Uh, education is something I've only recently kind of grown profoundly fond of, fond of, profoundly fond, I suppose we'll go with that. And because um, it was something I was never actually much good at. Uh, first, uh, junior inference, senior inference, first class, you know, uh, I suppose if you ask my parents, they'd probably tell you I was bright enough by. In fact, they'd definitely tell you I was bright enough by, but like, you know, parents are kind of morally obliged to say those things about their kids, I think, you know, so <laughs> um, don't take their word for it. Uh, but yeah, come second class uh, through hook and by hook or by crook, I kind of came to the conclusion that I wasn't the brightest. Uh, how I got there. Uh, it's kind of it's it's not that, that there's nothing drastic there really, um, how I came to that conclusion was kind of a com- a combination of uh, small environmental inputs coupled with my own mental gymnastics, right? So, come second class, Cork suburban school. For some reason, I ended up in the top floor. Second class was taught on the top floor, three-story school. And uh, I had the misfortune of sitting next to a window. And I was looking out the window on the first days of school, and it was the first time I could actually look into other people's gardens properly. Not that I'm saying to, you should be looking into people's gardens, but you know yourself as a kid, curious kid, you you know, staring into places you've never seen before. And um, it was one of my first days, and I remember looking into this back garden, and there was a washing line. Uh, as there's in many back gardens and it was kind of a dead day and the clothes were kind of hanging there doing, not doing much and um, I saw the wind basically kind of uh, blow through on this dead day and saw the washing line billow out uh, you know you could literally see the living edge of the wind run through the line it was you know set tangentially to or perpendicularly to the, 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 the broad side of the wind and um, I remember looking like there was t-shirts and towels and bed sheets and all that carry on and the first half of the line as the wind was running through it the clothes behaved as expected but it wasn't until it reached uh, this sheet you know those elasticated bed sheets that your mum would be throwing over the bed for you when you're a kid like and that you should be throwing over your own bed as an adult no doubt but anyway once the wind came there it kind of scooped off the you know the six or seven inches of side fabric <laughs> between the flat bit and the elastic bit and you kind of scooped off that and the towel behind the bed sheet didn't move one inch and I found that very curious and sure I didn't and sure as soon as I saw that you know school work became very very dull in comparison um, like to give you to, to give you a bit of psychological profiling as the type of kid I was you know the way a teacher there would be talking about something for 20 minutes and then some you know, she at the end of the thing she'd be talking twenty minutes about, she'd be asking any questions and this langer down here talking to her would be the prick that put up his hand to say sorry and asked a question that just basically was explained there for the past twenty minutes, which explained the whole lot there to me again, please teacher, I wasn't paying attention. What was me? And that this particular teacher now in, in second class who's driving her mad and understandably, but she was a bit of a bitch. No, I'm not going almost me, Mayfair or life was terrible, no. I'll get into school later on, but I don't personally believe that, you know, that that was, uh, you know, this victimhood thing that you see going on, that, that, that that's not what I'm getting at here. I'm really just going to state and kind of how I came to certain conclusions. And by the end of second class, I came to the conclusion that I was stupid. Now, how I got there was asking well there's no such thing as a stupid question and I'll come to that as well hopefully I do this podcast and run a podcast but to the kids and to the teacher at the time 90s Irish school I was asking stupid questions you know today 
a teacher now might be looking at the type of questions I might have been asking and seeing that I'm not paying attention or something else was up, whatever. But at the time, given the times that they were, uh, the, I suppose the teacher was kind of telling me I was stupid. The students I was in class with were kind of reaffirming that as well. You know, ask a stupid question. The fella sitting next to you going, what are you doing asking? Are you a dope or what? Like, and, um, you know, and I was getting the the results, my exam results and whatever else were always were were pretty poor. So I yeah, I came to the conclusion that I was stupid. And um I also mentioned mental gymnastics there a minute ago. Uh <laughs> I I don't remember it this being necessarily a conscientious decision, although I do vaguely remember kind of a thing going through my head at the time. Like something along the lines of, if I can't do it, I don't have to do it when it comes to homework and schoolwork. If I can't do it, I don't have to do it. And I suppose with homework in particular, <clears throat> it was something I, I'd often say to my poor parents. Like my dad was very good at maths and I was very, very poor at maths. And um, it's like that Sminky short with the two horses. If, you know, if you've ever seen Sminky shorts, they're just this very short cartoon that would be on YouTube and uh, well worth to watch only a couple of seconds long each but there's one with a couple of horses and there's one horse looking at a puddle and so the puddle's only a foot a foot across like and he's looking at the puddle going I can't do it I just can't do it can't do it and there's another horse next to him kind of going like you know you're a horse like <laughs> and the other foot, no I can't do it can't do it and I was the same with education I was the same with uh, with homework in particular I just, I just can't do it <laughs> what are you getting me to do with this homework I oh, know obviously I had to do it you know but like in my own head because I was stupid and like there was no part of me honestly that even to this day felt you know bitter about that you know I wasn't shaking my hands up at the gods saying like you know why have you forsaken me with this brain oh, fuck you know if you're stupid, and I, I, stupidity now is something I'm going to go into later on, hopefully, but I'm using the word now incorrectly when referring to myself. I, like So as a kid, as a kid, I, most people, like, and myself included, you kind of break up society into three simple things. Smart, average, stupid. You know, and I put myself on this, on this stupid kind of scale. And... Um, you know, that was grand. I was actually happy enough. I was happy enough in that kind of... I found my social space, I suppose. I found my position in society. And one of the interesting things about being in that position is you don't actually have to care about what you have to say, you know? You don't care about how you're perceived. And that's actually not the worst place to be, you know? You can say whatever you want, you can do whatever you want to a degree, you can make a fool of yourself to no end, and that's no problem, you're making people laugh, and that's something I always enjoyed anyway. no, it was somewhat detrimental, I suppose, to school, um, whenever someone was talking, be it another student or the teacher, I was constantly trying to make a joke out of it in my head, and um, I had a bit of a stammer when I was younger. Uh, it was a kind of anxiety-induced stammer, I think. I, I little bits, little remnants of it now still. But my own mother didn't even realise it a stammer until I was like in my late 20s or late 20s. And I said, do you remember that stammer I had? And she didn't have a clue. And what was happening was there's certain words, uh, particularly R's and W's. If I'm starting a sentence and there's R's and W's, I it would get caught in your throat. I don't know if any anyone would have a stammer now, but... The way a stammer feels is the word is catching just in the back of your throat. Um, and that's what it felt like for me anyway. The words were catching just in the back of my throat. And what I discovered was if I started a sentence with a word I was okay with, uh, like, you know, a word that started with H or S or whatever, um, what I discovered was if I got the sentence going and talked quickly, I could get ahead of the stammer. And I still have that kind of today, that bad habit today. I can talk very, very quickly. So hopefully that doesn't affect here now too much, that you're not, your ears aren't straining. But um, yeah, yeah, and that kind of carried on and carried on and carried on all the way up to sixth class. And then, uh, you know, sixth class, you go into first year secondary school. And uh, by the, 
by the results of my entrance exams, I was put straight, pretty much straight into remedial maths or remedial Irish. Uh, stupid maths and stupid Irish, as the lads used to call it. And, um, like, I was in, the, I put it straight into the class with all the messers. Like, the, like you know, the the bigger classrooms would be 20 or 30 big or whatever, but the remedial, they'd only be six, six to eight. And the idea was that, you know, the teacher could, put more focus on the kids there's less of a big room to get lost in the messers and all that type of stuff but the issue was the teacher he was a nice guy god bless him he was a very nice guy and his heart was in it for sure it's just he couldn't really teach <laughs> he's he couldn't control the class and uh but look it was a hard class to control i mean like i mean I, this is honest god truth now i don't know if any of you remember those old spud guns but this potato gun this this yoke it was red and you'd stick the nozzle into a potato and you snap off a bit of spud into the in, in the barrel and you'd pull the trigger and a good shot of air would come up behind it and you'd send the potato flying five or six meters about three or four millimeters of potato and i was shooting them the teacher with this thing and sure nothing happened he gave out you a bit when you just shoot him again with the potato <laughs> you know and she learned nothing and um yeah, but sure, look, that was grand. Did the leave insert? Well, actually, no. Come fourth year, I was actually asked to leave. Uh, I wasn't so much expelled. I was asked to leave. And uh, my poor parents had to fork out fucking 10 grand or something to send me to one of these grind schools. And uh, <laughs> 10 grand to get 210 out of the leave insert, like. And, uh, like, to give you, I know I'm backtracking here now, I'll be going forward and back a little bit sometimes, that's because I'm not editing. Uh, but when I was in third or fourth class, I I was a little bit dyslexic or whatever else. But come third and fourth class, the mother kind of recognised that I was uh, struggling a fair bit, and she looked into a few things, and there was this, like, can't remember the name, but now, but it was uh, ACLD or something like that. And um, it was a school you had to go to after school in primary school and mum, mum said this to me she says come on you go to this place it'd be good for you like and I said come here why the fuck would I want to go to school after school I hate school enough anyway like I hated school why do I have to go to and she and the way she sold it to me was this it'll help you with your homework and I said actually do you know what fair enough that's actually that that sound that's something I could use some help with was my homework. And I went there and the bastards they didn't help with your homework at all. Right? So what they do is they sit you down and they go through your schoolwork a bit and they might explain it a little bit differently, but you still right, I had to go to school that finished at fucking two or half two. Then come to half three, four o'clock I had to go to the school after school. That went on for another two and a half hours. Six o'clock, half six finishing up. And then I had to go home and still had to do my homework. I tell you straight away, this oh, I just completely fucked off. I was like, nah. and I did that for like one or two years or something, and nah, just didn't suit me. Didn't it just wasn't work. And like, I am dyslexic a little bit, and you know, I wasn't dyslexic enough to get the exemptions and whatever else, but I was dyslexic enough to make things a bit more a bit problematic, and. Um, so, yeah, that was grand. Did the entrance, went to stupid Irish, stupid maths. My results were low, 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 low all along. Got expelled, or rather asked to leave. Went to special school. Yeah. I gave up. I, I just stopped going to Irish. I didn't get the exemption. I just stopped going to Irish Irish class, and I didn't do the exam. It just wasn't. I just, just hated it. I just fell slip through the cracks. Uh, every... The, the course I went for, nautical science, um, every applicant got it, there was no points, so slipped through the cracks, grand stuff, didn't have to do Irish, uh, got like 41% French, you had to do another language, but anyway, and now the interesting thing about that college is nautical science, um, down ring a skiddy, the Maritime College, um, my intent was to become a navigation officer in the Merchant Navy. And uh, the f second day, I think, of college, we were doing a, this course. There's lots of maths and nautical science. And we'll get into that later. And I was, uh, as I said, no good at maths. 
And we dealt with this thing called spherical trigonometry, which is basically your average bit of trigonometry, but it's prescribed on spheres. And in spherical trigonometry, you can actually have a triangle with three right angles. Um, to imagine it now, because you're dealing with navigation and the Earth is a globe, despite what the flat earthers will tell you, the Earth is very much a globe, trust me. I've been to 55 different countries, 120 different places. I've used the stars uh, to navigate and it doesn't work unless the planet is a globe. And um, yeah, spherical trigonometry, three right angle triangle. If you were to stand above in the North Pole and work, walk directly south, say along the Greenwich Meridian, uh, passing through London and you were to walk south, 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 all the way until you got to the equator. Uh, then you took a left or right, depending which way you wanted to go, east or west, and you walked along, say, east, 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 for, oh, how many miles? Well, until you went from zero degrees Greenwich to 90 degrees east, which is wherever I'd have to look at a map the next day. And then you went 90 degrees back up, and then you went walk back up to the North Pole, you'd have a triangle with three or eight angles. So North Pole to equator, equator, 90 degrees east or west, and then back up to the North Pole. And you'd have a triangle with three right angles. And, you know, that kind of fucked my head a lot. And <laughs> there was another very matzy course called Ship Stability. And, but this type of maths was okay. It was like maths applicable to a real living thing. You know, if you put a weight, so port and starboard, port is left, starboard's right, if you're looking up, looking at a ship. And, uh, yeah, so if you were to load a weight on the starboard side, the you can well imagine the ship would lean over to starboard because the extra weight's on the starboard side. So the, the starboard side would sink a little bit and the port side would lift a little bit, but the port side wouldn't lift the same amount the starboard side had sank because the weight affects the entire ship. It's just affecting one side more than the other. So a weight added will sink the ship. And... Sink it, not sink it to the ground. It will sink it a little bit into the water, and that made sense. I was like, okay, just tell me what fucking formulas I need to know. You know, tell me what I need to do, and that makes sense. And I do that, and that was grand. You know, it was a tricky enough subject for me because of the maths, but I was able to get my head around the concepts of a little bit. But this spherical trigonometry carry on was a load of bollocks, basically. And so you do a year of college and they teach you the basics. They teach you, like, you know, a few of the basic things, rules, regulations, ship operations, ship construction, you know, stability, navigation, you know, just, just basic things, cargo operations. And um, then, so that's first year. Then they send you away to sea for a year and a half. That's second year college, right? Very, very useful system that. I, I wouldn't mind talking about that more on a later date. But... This thing of going away to see, you have a book with you, your decadent training record book, and in this thing there's hundreds and hundreds of these little things you have to do uh, under supervision, uh, qualified by a qualified officer, to demonstrate your knowledge in these things. Like, you know, like working on a ship, it can be a very hazardous environment. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can very, very quickly get yourself into trouble. Or get someone else into trouble and get someone else hurt and get yourself hurt. Uh, so it's rather important that people have a good idea as to what's actually happening and what you're supposed to be doing. And uh, so the, the the training regime is a very rigorous one. And it's one that's closely monitored, not just by the, your training officer, but by the captain and whoever else. And it's a very interesting, it is a very interesting time in your life to go away to sea for the first time. Um very very exciting like uh, my first ship I joined in Valparaiso in Chile and uh, we sailed from Valparaiso around Cape Horn which incidentally Cape Horn which is south of Chile it's the most southern point before the Antarctic but interestingly if you say Cape Horn fast enough it sounds like gay porn I discovered that one day well one of my friends pointed it out to me but sure look not very interesting but just a thing of note Cape Horn, Cape Horn, very, very close. Anyway, so we sailed around Cape Horn and over to uh, the oil fields of Angola 
Uh, we didn't actually see land. We never actually went to shore in Angola at that time. Then we went to the oil fields of Nigeria. We were on a tanker at the time, an oil tanker, and um, loaded a load of oil there and came back across the Atlantic, came around Cape Horn again. In fact, Cape Horn was the only land we saw for two and a half months. Uh, the land was about 20, 30 miles to the north of us. And uh, uh, when we came around the Cape, we sailed up north-northwest around the corner and landed Long Beach, California. So that was a long enough old trip, actually, without seeing land or a woman. The first woman we saw was in Long Beach. And I tell you, by God, we nearly <laughs> we nearly turned into beasts. Once <laughs> but, like, you know, we remained decent anyway, despite, you know, we were gentlemen, no less. We remained decent. But, you know, Jeannie, there were some women walking around the place in Long Beach, California, that you nearly run the whole, lose the run of yourself after two and a half months of sea. But, your look, we managed not to make a disgrace of ourselves anyway. Uh, but yeah, all this time as a trainee and you're getting stuff done and it's really interesting writing reports and it's hands-on education and you're not just learning how to do the thing and lift the yoke and push the button, but you're also learning the principles behind it and yada, yada, yada. Very, very interesting. Using the sextant for navigation. I used the sextant quite a bit when I was a trainee. And, uh, but then you go back to college for a year, for your third year, right? And this is where things, the shit hits the fan for me anyway, because the spherical trigonometry, it gets carried over into this topic called principles of navigation now principles of navigation sounds like a relatively innocuous module doesn't it now it sounds like something that yeah you could sit in on and learn a little bit about navigation. no the whole fucking thing is <laughs> it's just maths 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 and like the the lecturer now he was a nice guy he was a decent man very very intelligent but one of the snakes he, mistakes he would make with us i believe was to kind of assume we we're a bit smarter than much we actually are or academically or, or academical prowess was a bit more than what it actually was and uh god above i failed that exam three times i was the last person and i i mean you're dealing with stuff like planetary planetary motion now Sounds like it could be a very difficult thing. Well, it is a pretty difficult thing, but it was actually also the easiest question on the exam. Like, if you got the exam and there was a planetary motion question on it, you were delighted. You're like, all oh, right, that's this one I can kind of figure out. The rest of it. There's this, this thing called the celestial sphere. The celestial sphere. And the idea of the celestial sphere is it, like, it's an imaginary sphere of infinite diameter that we kind of place using our imagination around the planet Earth. And this imaginary sphere of infinite diameter, imaginationally placed around the Earth, is used to map the stars in our sky. This is the this is the the mechanism we use to map the stars, and so use them for navigation afterwards. And like when you're delving into principles of nav, you're really kind of going to town in the spherical trigonometry carrying, which I'll get into another day. You know, not to get caught up. I, I I'm just trying to make this as quick as I can, really. Um, so, yeah, that was grand. Failed the exam four times, three times. And you'll probably remember yourself, those scientific calculators. There was a load of buttons on the top of them. You didn't have a clue what half of them would be doing, or most of them would be doing. But, yeah, for this spherical, you know, for this principles of NAV class, you had to use all those buttons and the lecturer very nicely taught us how to calibrate our calculators and sure to fuck in the 11th hour or even the oh, 23.55, five minutes before the hour, the 12th hour on the 24 o'clock, which makes sense. I think I'll have to go over that again anyway. But yeah, yeah, the, 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 five minutes to 12, the, 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 the calculator decalibrates itself, the bastard. And uh, I goes into the lecture and I says, look, how's it going, sir? My calculators after decalibrating. Like, Could you recalibrate it for us? And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And as he's recalibrating the calculator, I just, I just so happened to have a bottle of whiskey in my pocket, <laughs> in my inside pocket of this jacket, another jacket I was wearing at the time, and uh, gave him the whiskey anyway. And I said, look, sir, thanks for all the help and yada, 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 you know. And he says, oh, no, I can't be taking that. I can't. No, no, no. no I said, go on. I, look, I says, no, there's nothing, nothing about that at all, sir, honestly. Look, thanks for all your help. You know, you, I know you're blowing the teeth from trying to drill this into me, whatever. And I was lucky as well. He was retiring. I was his last student. I was the last person to do the exam at that particular lecture. So did the exam. Pretty sure I failed it. <laughs> and about two or three months later, got the results. 41.5%. <laughs> so... 
I, I, on the way down to the exam, I said, there's a little chapel, or I, I, I said a little prayer in the little chapel on the way down to the exam. So I don't know if it was the prayer or the whiskey that got me through, but one of them did anyway. So thanks very much. And uh, so, yeah, went off to see. Well, I had one more exam to do that I failed twice, actually. But that's a that's a story from the other day. The, the, the Irish maritime oral exam is a nightmare. But uh, we got through it eventually anyway. I spent 11 years at sea. And um, so when I was 15, this IQ, they did an IQ test, a national IQ test. I was in third year or fourth year or something like that. And uh, did the exam and a few weeks or months or whatever later, the results came out and I got 93. And I'd never got such a high fucking (laughs) number in any exam in my life. And I went running over to the lads Telling them, oh, sure, look, I'm after getting 93. Thought I, I, I thought I was, you know, for a second I thought I was smart. And uh, now, nah, turns out 100 is the average. <laughs> but, uh, ah, sure, look, that, uh, okay. If 100 is the average, 93 was pretty good, I felt. I was actually more than I'd put myself on. I, if, if the average was, you know, that... If 50 was an average for... Oh, excuse me. Oh, yawning. Excuse me. If 50 was the average for a 100% exam, I would have put myself in the low 40s. 41.5%. That's kind of where I'd put myself in all things. If 100%, 100%, 50% is half as good. I was at 41.5%. It was where I was standing in society, I thought. Anyway, and I was happy enough with that. And... Um, yeah took that away with me for the whole life and uh, spent 11 years thinking I was uh, of that kind of range I suppose and um, I was happy enough and I'm telling you it's actually a it's not a bad place to be I mean if you don't really give a toss about what you say, which is allowed if you think you're kind of, if you think you're stupid, you're allowed to say what you want nearly. Sure, you don't care. You can say whatever, any, anything and everything that you want. And, um, yeah, that's what I was doing. I was having a great crack with it as well. And it, it, it affords you a certain kind of joke as well. Like, you can really wind people up. I mean, it's a position of superior trolling, I think, anyway. I mean... A good example would be a mistake I made when I first came home from sea. I was four four months away and I came home. I was still living with the parents. I was only 18, 19 at the time. And uh, I have a younger brother and we're very, very different people. And uh, I'd be very much just give me the plain shower gel, plain shampoo. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't make my hair glossy. I don't want glossy hair shampoo. I just want regular shampoo. Thanks very much. And... Um, I came home and I went up to the shower and all my brother's very expensive shower products were in the in the, the, the shower rack. And uh, so, like, I have this thing in my own head that when I'm using shower gel or soap, if it's not sudsy, if it doesn't generate bubbles, it's not cleaning you as much as other stuff would be. No, I know that's scientifically out, you know, makes no sense. It's just my own little thing. Everyone's allowed a little thing if they want. But uh, that was my one. Um, and so I didn't have a clue about all the different products in the shower tray and so I took this what I took to be shower gel it was called exfoliant and I started to use I put the exfoliant on the scrubber thing and I started scrubbing myself with exfoliant and I was saying to myself this exfoliant is shit there's no suds it's not cleaning me so after my shower I went down and I said to my brother, it was a Saturday or something and my mum and dad were kind of getting Saturday lunch ready and my brother was sitting down there at the table looking at whatever. And I said to him, Curity, that exfoliant is shit. And of course my mother says, don't be coarse and I'm sorry, but like, you know, my brother says, well, 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 why, what you, what you think exfoliant is shit? I says, there's no bubbles. He says, what do you mean? And whatever way he said, what do you mean? I kind of, I clicked, it clicked to me that maybe exfoliant isn't what I thought it was. But sure, look, I said, you know what, we'll roll, we'll ride this pony, we'll see where it goes. And I said, uh, yeah, there was no studs, terribly clean. And 
kind of went from there. Uh, can't remember exactly what I said, like, but uh, my brother, yeah, oh yeah, my my brother told me what exfoliant was for. I can't remember what it is for now, actually, exfoliating your skin, but I don't know what exfoliating does. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But um, I started calling him a, a wussy, you know, uh, for using such a ladylike product. No, honestly, if you listen to this and you use exfoliant or moisturizer or whatever else, you work away by. Absolutely, there is nothing wrong with using those products. It's 2019. I'm not of the opinion that, you know, you're less of a man for using these things. It's just not for me. And I was 19 at the time with a 17-year-old younger brother, and it's perfectly acceptable for a person of that age to be doing this to a younger sibling, winding them up. And so I don't know how I came to it. It took me two or three steps to get there, but... I came out with the sentence that your moisturising your hands makes you bisexual. <laughs> and he lost the plot of me. <laughs> and if people, if people are used to you saying crazy, stupid stuff, you know, people will actually believe that you believe that. And I, I better check with him now to make sure that he doesn't still think I believe that moisturising your hands makes you bisexual. But you can get, you can get stuff like that out of people and you can get great reactions and, Getting reactions out of people, there's a great laugh out of it. No, today, it's kind of gone to a different level, I suppose, with trolling and reactions, whatever else. But if you look, we can talk, we'll talk about that the next day. We'll see how this one sounds at the end of it. But yeah, I thought I'd in a queue of 93. And um, my father now, he's a very, very smart man. And so is my younger brother, actually. They're two very intelligent people. And so is my mother. By God, they come from a very smart family. And um, so I never felt bitter. I, I, I hang around with some really smart guys. I'm, all of my friends are just on the point, you know, very switched on in so many ways, very informed, very intuitive, very academic, academic, you know, a lot of them, you know, even if they say they're not, they're clued in in ways I could never interact with. I felt anyway, I was probably wrong, but it's just always felt like I couldn't, I couldn't really interact with a lot of my friends and a lot of things. Like a good example would be music. Um, I love music. I apps music is one of the most important things in my life. Like, I'm nearly autistically into music, <laughs> which, you know, I don't, I don't want to be sound like I'm mocking people with autism, far from it. Um, I think autistic kids and families who have people who are autistic, well, I tell you what, autism would be something I'll touch on on our podcast, but I find it very interesting. I find it very fascinating. Like someone, I read it somewhere um, in a Darwinian sense, why autism? You know, survival of the fittest. Well, why why is autism there? That that was the argument, and someone made a very simple point. Imagine being artistically good at hunting and gathering. You know, I mean, like, I was watching this uh, five five minute report about this girl, over in America, and she was a. There were twin sisters. One sister and all was your average everyday girl. The other, the other sister was very, very autistic and, you know, shouting and roaring, couldn't talk and jumping up and down and hitting things and whatever. And uh, then one day someone put her in front of a computer and she started typing. And she, this was the first time she could talk to people. And she said to her dad, the reason why she couldn't look him at, look at him in the face was because too much emotion would flood through her body that she actually felt uncomfortable looking at looking people in the eye. And so there's a hell of a lot more going on with autism than, you know, than you might think, than what most people think. So, you know, I don't mean to be mocking autistic people at all. I have great respect for, for people with autism and I think it's something that we should research more as a, as a as a people and you know invest a bit more in the, the the care of people who suffer from autism but that's just a little side note there i uh, can't even remember where i was now um something of old school anyway yeah this is probably going to happen <laughs> uh sure look we, we, we might come back to that amendment uh, as i was talking about earlier Oh, excuse me, just after eating a burrito, Zambrero, absolutely delicious, tasted it all there again. But yeah, 
Oh. Where was I? Oh yeah, great friends. And um, so what I discovered myself was a great way to learn was by listening to my friends and when it came to music, oh yeah, that was it. I can listen to the same album over and over and over again for hours. I can listen to the same three songs for two or three hours over and over. And at the same time, at the end of that few hours, I couldn't actually tell you a single word off the song. It's just if a song resonates with me and I'm working in particular, uh, boom, music just does me so good, so much good. Now, when I'm no good at music is remembering the names of artists or the names of their songs or, you know, this type of carry-on. Like, you know, the lyrics, I could never remember the lyrics and that often led to much hilarity amongst the lads. And uh, sure, look, that was okay. I don't mind being the fella at the butt of jokes. It was, like, you know, as I said, that was my position. But um, I always found it very difficult to interact on their level. So what I found was that I could interact with was on my level. So if I could drop the conversation down to my own... Well, it's always going to be sex jokes with me. I love the old sex jokes. Make anything dirty if I possibly could. That's how I... That, that's how I was able to get in the conversation. And that, that that's grand. You know, the, the, I was happy enough with that. Now, things kind of changed when I was 28, 29. Like, as I said, my dad was a very smart fella. Is a very smart fella. And he's in Mensa. And uh, he was at me to go for the, the men's exam. And the men's exam is actually very interesting. It's like a three or four, three and a half hour long exam. And like some exams are two minutes long, some are like 11 minutes long, 15 minutes long. And uh, very, very comprehensive. And I went in, I, I went out in the piss the night before. I don't know why. I just did. And uh, I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. I was a bit embarrassed. But, um, yeah, a month later or whatever, how long later anyway, the results came back and I didn't get in, but I found my IQ had gone up from 93, it'd gone up 40 points, more than, nearly 50 points. And, um, that was a bit of a, an eye-opener, I wasn't expecting that. And, I suppose the reason why I'm telling you this story is, this thing of, I can't do it, you know, I'm too stupid, too stupid, like, that was something I said to myself an awful lot, too stupid, I can't do it. I'm wondering how many other people out there are like that, and actually have a head in their shoulders, and don't realise it. Like, their social inputs, like, my social inputs that led me to the conclusion I was stupid was a bit of a bitch of a teacher, a bunch of pricks in school, my own stupid behaviour, not being able to shut up and asking stupid questions and not being able to pay attention. And uh, so, yeah, social inputs. These can lead you to conclusions that are completely false. And, like, I don't think any of my friends would have called me stupid back in the day, and they still don't know. Uh, but if you were to ask them who would be the most likely to do something stupid and self-detrimental, it would probably have been me, the lads would have pointed at so... You know, and I'd, I'd agree with them. So, a head in your shoulders that you didn't even know you had. Yeah, that's what I got, I think. So, I'm going to try figuring out... I'm go, I, what I wouldn't mind doing with this podcast is learning something myself each time and maybe learning you a couple of things as well, a different perspective maybe. If I can give you a different perspective on something that's going on in the world, then you know, mission accomplished, something, something positive has been, uh, has been done. And, um, yeah, you'd think, right, so I, I spent a lot of time in Africa, West Coast Africa, and go a lot of time in the Congos, God, that place, of all the places I've been to, is one of the poorest. Once you start looking more into the Congo, and I think I'll do an ep- an episode on the Congo at some stage. It's a very interesting place with really, with really shit history. As far as histories go, Congo is one of the most brutal, and a lot of it's imposed from foreign bodies today as well. So, but I've been to the Congo. I've been all over Africa, predominantly West Coast. 
all over Europe, all over uh, both coasts of America, but not all over the shop of America. It's up the Mississippi River, and saying up the St. Lawrence River in Canada, did the Amazon River in Brazil, did the Orinoco River in Venezuela. You know, I actually saw Hugo Chavez give a speech uh, 2009, which was very interesting that I could actually see that bit of history going on. Uh, and you can see who Venezuela is now after him. But. So yeah, I've been to a lot of poor countries and like the lesson today if I can transmit anything is the world is actually a really really beautiful place I know you mightn't think it all the stuff you see in the news but the one thing I took away from going to see was the world is full of good people everywhere I looked there was good people and are people just trying to get on with it like and it's a very easy thing to manipulate to trick people into you know bad paths bad behavior bad this bad whatever else you know it's very easy to teach a kid how to hate if if you all you teach a kid is how to hate well that's all that thing that that kid is going to, going to carry that with him for the rest of his life he could be like really nice to his wife he could be great to his kids but then the person he's been taught to hate his whole life when they come across well their mind just clicks over and you know that bit of behaviour has been drilled into them and it's to do with psycho conditioning yeah I, 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 I'll tell you yeah I, I haven't researched the story at all it's a, it's a story that a friend told me so I'm going to get it wrong that's that's going to be a given here I, I, I always won't get stuff wrong and I'll come back and correct it as I go. Um, but the story I'm getting wrong today was to do with 20 monkeys back in the 50s in an American laboratory. And the idea was, if as far as I can remember, there was a friend of mine telling me this. There was like a pole or a ladder in the middle of this room. And the 20 monkeys, they were acclimatized to each other. They've, you know, they've been introduced. <laughs> the ice was broken, you know. And... Um, they're put in this room and this trapdoor opens and all these nuts come down. They land on top of this ladder or this pole or whatever. There's kind of a, a plateau on top of it. And this, you know, the, the most cunning, the sharpest monkey, whatever, he scarpered out up the ladder, got the nuts, took a fistful for himself and threw a fistful out to the boys. And should the boys down below be start fighting and everything for the nuts? And sure, you know yourself that that's an analogy for life, no doubt. Capitalism and, you know, corporate fat cats and all that. But yeah, so the... Monkey up top was firing nuts off the side and the lads were eating them down below and he was having his fill up top and the lads were kind of getting a few nuts and they were happy enough. But anyway, they did this for a week and the pecking order was kind of set and after a week or so, whenever your man went up the ladder, this it was 1950s, you could do this back then, but the scientists electrified the, the floor, the ground and zapped all the monkeys and the fella up atop, he was eating his nuts and he was looking down at all the monkeys you know, 19 other monkeys flailing in pain and whatever, screaming and roaring, and he was throwing down all the nuts in the church. They, were no, they had no interest in the nuts. They were getting electrocuted, and he couldn't figure it out. And the second or third time this happened, to, <laughs> when he went to go for the ladder, the lads would kick the fuck out of him. You're not going up that ladder. You know, we only get electrocuted. So that was grand. That stayed like that for a week. No one touched the ladder. And on the third week, anyway, they took out one monkey, and they replaced him with another monkey. And the other monkey came in and sure enough that morning the trapdoor opens and all the nuts come down and the new monkey who's never seen the floor being electrocuted before goes, hey boys, look, look at his nuts. <laughs> and because they don't have a language, they couldn't communicate, no, don't go for those nuts. It will hurt everyone. No, so he went up the ladder and sure, as soon as he put his hand on the ladder, the rest of the monkeys bit the shit out of him. And I'm sure he was very confused over that. Every time he went to touch the letter to get the nuts, the monkeys bait the shit out of him. And uh, so they sequentially, once a week, they sequentially changed out all these monkeys, one for one, one for one, one for one, until eventually no monkey was left that had seen the floor electrocuted. But if any fella went near that ladder, they'd still kick the fuck out of him. So psycho conditioning. Yeah. I mean, like, we'd like to think ourselves as much higher beings than mere apes but you know yourself we are all we're all God's creatures at the at the, at the base of it at the or fundamental basics like, you know and um, so psycho conditioning we can do it to ourselves 
our society or social inputs can do it to us. And um, yeah, something I really, really want to start looking into is further education for everyone. Like, I'm a big fan of positive sum game theory. And I'll get into that next time. We're running now, now, just turn 50 minutes. But positive sum game theory, essentially, to understand positive sum game theory, we'll talk a little bit about zero sum. So zero sum game theory was is kind of where we're living today. Based on kings and queens of the past, uh, empire, shall we say. When it comes to empire, the more I have, my empire has, the less your empire has, the better off I am, the worse off you are. That's zero sum. There's a finite amount. Well, with zero sum game theory, it kind of came about realistically, practically it came about, poss- you know, the possibility of achieving a positive sum game came about in the industrial industrial revolution when for all intents and purposes we could make more pie for everyone to eat and I mean like the most simple sentence I could put it into would be do you want to die from cancer well no clearly not no one wants to die from cancer but if you want to really put a chunk in cancer research get everyone in Africa a degree in cancer research and not just a bit of paper saying they have it an actual education in cancer research and then yeah, you'd you'd have some real real progress made, like you know. So education, I'm not going to be able to get y'all up to date in your cancer research, but if I can learn something and transmit it to you, even if it's just a change perspective, happy days. So that's the first one over and done with. Keep it under the hour, uh, if I can. Um, I have Twitter. I have no idea what my Twitter uh, account actually is. I better just check that uh, in case I'm lying to you. Well, you know, we're not going to have many listeners just yet anyway. But sure, look. Uh, yeah. At Mac School underscore school. So at MC underscore S-K-O-O-L. And uh, sure, look. Hopefully we'll learn you something. Hopefully I'll learn something myself. Have a good one and keep the hand off it, lads. Cheerio.